Hey, how about a little birthday giveaway to Takara? Yeah, today's her birthday. Just gonna squeeze in through you here. Happy birthday, young lady. Yes, indeed. And we're also gonna do free family counseling for Jessica Ashworth. Since her dad told her age during the worship wrap-up, and then her husband didn't know their birth month, due month during the giveaway. So yeah, free, free family counseling for Jessica. 20, she's 25. And Tyler, when's your baby due again? Okay, good. Well done. Good. Grace. Preaching about grace. No, I'm just kidding. It's good. Hey, the uh, slides of the motorcycles in my media has nothing to do with the message tonight. It's just up there in case some of you were thinking, what am I going to get Pastor Fred for Father's Day? <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to help him out. And it doesn't have to be that one. The title of my message is John 5 Fatherhood, but the hashtag is any Ducati will do. Any Ducati will do. Hey, the question of whether or not you are a father is a simple one. It's do you have children? But the question of whether or not you are walking in fatherhood, that's a much longer conversation. And I believe that in John chapter 5, we find that Jesus gives us foundational features for biblical fatherhood, and, and we're going to look at four of them together tonight. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5. You can turn there. If you've got a device, you can swipe there. John chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 19. It says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now, when you read this, you've really got two choices, right? Either you read this and you say, Jesus is the very first millennial. He's 30 years old and he can't do anything by himself, right? Or he's teaching us something important about being a father. Now, if you dig around in this whole chapter, you, you realize that Jesus is defending himself to religious leaders of his day. Jesus has referred to himself as being the son of God. Now, if you were a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, when you claimed to be the son of God, you were claiming to be the same as God. So for people that say Jesus never claimed divinity, it's because they don't understand Jewish culture and the Jewish religion 2,000 years ago. But the religious leaders of that day understood all too well what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, just as he did in John 14, when you see me, you've seen the Father because he and I are one. But I believe that Jesus is not just teaching us about the theology of the nature of God. I think he's trying to also give us some insight into the nature of fatherhood. The father relationship is one of the most powerful shaping influences in the future of a child's life. So when he says here in this verse, whatever the father does, the son does also, he's talking about his relationship with God, but he's also talking about fatherhood. And he's trying to help us to understand this important principle, that children do what they see their father doing. Children do what they see their father doing. And so my question for you tonight is, what are your children seeing you doing? 
Because what they see you doing is beginning the process of who they are becoming. Somebody say, be productive. John 5, 17, Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. My father is always working, he says, and so am I. Let me, let me read you this quote out of this book. We did a life group out of this recently. It's called Work, the Meaning of Your Life by Lester DeCoster. He says, why does God, the Holy Spirit, weave our work into civilization much as he multiplies the planting of seeds into a harvest? First, God himself chooses to be served through the work that serves others. I'm going to talk about that more in just a minute. Second, God has so made us that through working, we actually sculpt the kind of selves we each are becoming in time, but also for eternity. I'm going to talk about that just in a minute as well. For too long, the church has separated the concepts of faith, work, and economics when they're all part of the same journey. God created them to be intertwined, not to be mutually exclusive. If those thoughts are new for you, this would be a great primer for you to begin to dig into how your work and how your productive life is part of your spiritual life. Be productive. Being productive isn't just about providing for your family financially. We understand that's an important part of fatherhood. That's an important part of being the head of our home is to provide for our families. But let me give you these four thoughts as well. This is part of what it means to be productive. It means that as a father that you're raising your children with a work ethic and not a sense of entitlement. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic class is. A child can grow up with a sense of entitlement if they don't have someone there to teach them otherwise. As fathers, we have a sacred responsibility to teach our children that God made them to be productive, contributing members of society. That God's put in each of us giftings and abilities. He's got a work calling, a vocational calling that he has for us. And a work ethic is a character that is inside of us that says, I want to be someone who gives and not just someone who takes. A work ethic means that I'm not just showing up to my job because they pay me. I'm showing up to my job because I have a contribution to make. That's the kind of work ethic that we want to see in our children. It means that your children need to understand that they are a part of the economy of the home. Now, there's different ways that you can do this. I'll just share you the way that we did it for our kids that are 18, 16, and 15, is that we didn't, we didn't do allowances growing up. I'm not saying that allowances are bad. I'm just saying if you do an allowance, make sure that it doesn't displace the importance of them feeling as though they're a part of the economy of the home. Because that's where they learn that they're a part of a bigger economy when they begin to work, that they have a contribution to make. And it's through that exchange that society develops and it grows. So for our children, we didn't do allowances. Because, and some of the teenagers are like, he should just stop talking right now. Is <laughs> that because we wanted our children to understand that the money that Vanessa and I have earned through our jobs and our vocation over the years, it's not just our money that we're earning, it's their money that they're earning because they're part of the economy at home. Because by them doing work in the home, it gives us the time and the attention and the emotional energy to give ourselves to work outside of the home. And so the money that's brought in by way of remuneration for the contribution that we have made through various jobs over, over our lives together, that that money's coming into the family and that the kids are helping to earn that money through the work that they do. So the income that comes into our home is our money collectively together. 
It is the beginning of where children begin to understand that they are a part of a bigger economy. Work serves God as we serve society. You and I have a sacred responsibility to go on a journey with God as a devoted follower of Christ to understand who God made us to be. And that when we begin to put that to work in community, when we begin to put that work put that to work in society, we are meeting the needs of other people's lives. And then as other people are doing the same thing, guess what? They begin to meet needs in our lives. We are a part of a community throughout this world internationally where if everyone is a productive contributing member, everybody's needs begin to be met at a deeper level. God made it that way. It's part of what he set into motion in the book of Genesis through the world that he created. And when we begin to walk in our purpose and our destiny and our calling, not only are we serving our fellow man, but we're serving God by honoring him, by being the person that he called and created us to be. Work is essential to eternity. This is one of the things I love about this book. The Coster talks about how You and I should have a vision for eternity. Our children, so many children get swept away into misadventures in this life because they don't have a vision for what's to come. Every time that God says no to us, it's not because he's trying to rob us of pleasure. We say it here all the time at City Life. It's because he's trying to protect us from mediocrity. And he's also trying to protect us of the things that rob us of the goodness that's waiting for us in our forever We believe, as a church, as many churches do, that heaven is not a place of perpetual retirement. When you read the book of Revelation, you find that heaven is a place of activity and power and authority. That God's a creator. That's not going to stop just when this world comes to an end. This idea of, of there being new heavens and a new earth, we're supposed to all be a part of that. And we believe, and I believe, and I trust that you do as well, that the work that he's given you to do here is getting you ready for the work that he has for you to do there. You're calling. What, what you do vocationally is intertwined somehow, some way. It's a mystery. Yes, I get it. But it's intertwined somehow, some way to what you're going to be doing forever. I do hope there might be some exceptions to that since I spent an hour this week unclogging the toilet in the nursery. We're going to make toilet paper usage part of our preschool curriculum. And then when I was done there, I had to disassemble the men's bathroom urinal because there was a stuck stuck plunger. So I hope that plumbing is not my calling forever in eternity in heaven. I hope there are some exceptions to our activity here for what's going to be waiting for us there. As a father, you've got to give your child a vision for eternity. It changes the way you think about your work, doesn't it? When you begin to think about what God has called me to do, what he's put into my hand, what what I'm going to day in and day out as a job, that God is using that to get me ready for how I'm going to serve him in heaven. Always working, fathers, is not permission to never be present. Always working means you are always walking in fatherhood, equipping your children with both the desire and the skills to be productive, contributing members of society. Somebody say, be authentic. John 5, 20, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works 
than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. Passivity, men, is one of the number one causes of dysfunction in the home with families. Passivity is when fathers don't lead the way that they should. And my experience as a pastor is that oftentimes the reason why men don't lead in the way that they should is because they have secret sins in their life. And they feel like then they don't have the moral authority to challenge their families. So as men, we've got to make sure that we're doing a good job of keeping our heart clean because we have a responsibility to make sure the hearts of our families are clean. So let me just give you these three easy steps. You've got to have a small group of men to confide in. You've got to have a group of men, just a few, not a lot, just a few, that you trust with the secrets of your life. You've got to have a small group of men that you can confide in, open up your heart to, that you can trust their, their confidence, you can trust their allegiance. They don't have to be the men that are going to help you fix it. Listen to me, because there's a progression here. The men that you find don't have to be the men that are going to help you figure everything out, but you got to have some men who you can open up your life to so that you don't stay in a place of isolation because the more you stay in a place of isolation, the more permission you're going to give yourself to keep doing the things that you know that you're not supposed to do. And then you got to have a bigger group of men to grow from. Right? This is things like base camp. This is your bigger groups like the men's retreat or life groups or going to the baseball game. It's why we go to things like this. It's not because we're, right? It's, it's not just about the baseball. It's not just about the popcorn and the Cracker Jacks that you're going to get when you leave the service. It's about the beginning of relationships that you begin to establish with other men, a, a, a broader group than just the circle that you're Confide in that there's a bigger group that you can begin to grow from. These are the men that, that you begin to sit in a room with them and you begin to realize that, that maybe as they share, they've been where you are and you can begin to reach out to them and they can begin to help you figure out how to conquer the giants that are in your life. And you gotta have a larger church family called church to build with. A small group to confide in, a bigger group to grow from, but then you've got to have a church family to build with. Can I just say to you that if you begin to try to press out of your life the things that don't belong, but don't replace it with the things that do belong, you're never going to press them out. The principle of displacement is an important part of our spiritual journey. You've got to backfill that time with eternally significant things. And he's called each of us as men to be a part of building his church, whether it's this one or the church that you call home, be a builder there. Being an open book with your children isn't healthy. Listen to this, men. Too many fathers misunderstand authenticity. Your children need you to be an open book with other Christian men so you can walk in fatherhood with them. Too many fathers, they're seeking the acceptance and the affirmation of their young children when what they should be doing is striving to lead their young children. You can be friends with them later when they're adults. Your children don't need you to be an open book. They just need to know that you're an open book with someone. Somebody say life-giving. Be life-giving. So be productive, be authentic, be life-giving. John 5, 21 reads this way, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Death isn't just a vulnerability of our bodies. Dying on the inside is just as real and it's just as devastating. 
So I'm asking you, fathers, these four weighty questions tonight. Are your words life-giving? Is how you treat their mother life-giving? Do you use your personality as an excuse? And do you have unresolved past hurts? It's an incredible thing to read throughout Scripture and read stories where Jesus raised people from the dead. It is. But don't make the mistake of thinking that God hasn't given us similar power to each of us, especially fathers. Because the words of life that you can speak into the lives and the hearts of your children, I'm telling you, can cause dead things to come to life inside of them. Whether or not God has given us the authority and the power to raise natural bodies to life again, right? That's another conversation. I think that he has. Maybe you don't believe that he has. We might never ever come to agreement, but let's agree on this. That there is a dying on the inside that many children suffer. And they're waiting for life-giving words from their father to bring it out of the tomb. There is power in your words the power of acceptance, the power of forgiveness, the power of grace, the power of believing in a child. God's put that power in you. And he's waiting for you to speak those words into the life of your child. How you treat their mother, whether she's still your wife or not. How you treat their mother determines whether or not you're giving them life. You cannot use your personality as an excuse. I don't care if God made you the grumpiest curmudgeon that he ever made from the beginning of time. It's not permission to treat your kids that way. Your personality, did God give us our personality? You better believe he did. And all of our personalities have excesses. All of our personalities have blind spots. It's one of the reasons why we need groups of men that we can walk with in life to help shape us and mold us. Part of that idea in Proverbs where it talks about iron sharpening iron, that's part of what it means. It means that we need men that are close enough to us to kind of temper parts of who we are. Whatever your personality, if you're the most withdrawn, introverted, quiet, I only have four words to speak every day when I get up from the time I go to bed, Make sure some of those words are saved to speak life into the hearts of your children. All of us have hurts in our past. People who have betrayed us, people who have disappointed us. Your hurt might be from your own father. And it could be that you struggle being a father because you didn't have a father who showed you how to do it. That's okay. Because that's part of what church community is all about. Because there's rooms full of surrogate fathers waiting to take you under their wing and to show you the way. We've all got hurts. But at some point, our hurts have to stop becoming the hurts of our children because we've not worked through our own pain. And we're not supposed to work through our own pain by taking it out on the ones who are supposed to look to us to give them life. Giving them natural life was just the beginning. But it's the life on the inside that matters most. And fathers, it's the words that you speak that win the day. James 3, 3 through 5 reads this way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. 
And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. How about as fathers we resolve today that we're going to stop igniting fires in our home and start igniting life through the words that we speak. Walking in fatherhood means that our words and our actions are always life-giving to those who are around us. Somebody say, be empowering. John 5.22 reads this way. This is number four. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge. One of our greatest responsibilities with walking in fatherhood is to build in our children a sense of authority that they must have over their own lives. This is just a list. We could do pages of this. But as a father, how about we teach them through our own example how to have authority over their feelings, authority over their words, Authority over their impulses and desires, authority over their bodies, authority over their sexuality, authority over their circles of influence. This idea of that God set into motion in the beginning of time through creation in the Garden of Eden was to demonstrate and to show us that He created us as people of authority, not people to be driven by instinct and desire. He created instinct and desire because it's part of what makes life meaningful and enjoyable. The first geographically named place in the world is Eden. In Hebrew, it means pleasure. So God loves pleasure. He wants us to find pleasure. He wants us to experience pleasure. He didn't just make the world functional. He made it beautiful. Why? For us. But it doesn't mean that we're supposed to give ourselves to every whim and every circumstance and every situation. There's supposed to be a gate in front of each of our lives that we exercise through the will that he has entrusted to us. And our children need to be raised with a sense of authority. And you know where they learn that first and foremost? They learn it from their parents, especially their fathers. The authority that we bring to our home is not for us to just be in charge and to have our own way, for our preferences to be deferred to at every turn. As fathers and mothers, husbands and wives together, we're supposed to be people of authority in our home because we're modeling for them how to step into authority when they come of age over their own life. So there's a filter. Influenced by the Holy Spirit, so their will becomes a gatekeeper. And that they're the only ones that has the key. God wants us to feel deeply. He doesn't want us to be driven by our feelings. God's given us this gift of speech and words, but it's not permission to just say whatever we think. Right? Scripture tells us to speak the truth in love. Let's not forget the last part of that. Just because it's true doesn't mean that you can say it. Over every impulse, every desire, our children should have authority. Over their bodies, over their sexuality, this is important to us. God assigns your sexuality through your gender that he chooses when he gives it to you. 
And the church has stepped out of the conversation of sexuality in the world for lots of reasons, but one is upsetting to me is because they, just, they, were, they were just mean-spirited for too long. And I think it broke God's heart. And the church lost its influence in the conversation because it started speaking truth and it stopped speaking the truth in love. Stop speaking the truth in love. Authority over circles of influence. 1 Corinthians tells us that bad company corrupts good character. Your children have to have a filter. A filter of authority over their life and who they're going to allow to come in and influence them. And if all of that seems overwhelming to you, then go back to John 5.20, fathers, because that's why having a church family is the cornerstone to walking in fatherhood, because none of us will ever do all of this on our own. John 5.26 reads this way, the father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son. This is important for us because it is a reminder to us that the way that we father our children sets something into motion for generations. The way I father teaches my sons how to father and it teaches my daughter the father that she's looking for. And then one day they're going to have children who are going to have children who are going to have children who are going to have children. And for some of you here tonight, your life is broken because of what's been handed down to you when you have an opportunity to say, I'm not passing that mess on to the next generation. I'm not going to keep sending it down the line. I'm going to learn how to be a better father so that my children can either be fathers or marry biblical fathers who are going to walk in father, and I'm going to send something else down the line. And if you're here tonight like me and you had a great father to show you the way, then we have an awesome sacred responsibility to not be the one that drops the ball. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. There's a responsibility that's on my life because of the father that I had that died about four and a half years ago. One day I'm not going to be here anymore and who I am is going to set my children into motion and their children, and their children, and their children, and their children. And if Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, there are going to be people on this planet that are conducting themselves as fathers and living in a certain way because of who I am. And the same for you. Stand with me. God, we know that the standard that you put in front of us is enormous. We know that the standard that you have given us to live by is impossible. Because the standard is your son. The standard is you. The standard is your Holy Spirit. But may it be that tonight that we would not let the reality that we will never get all the way there discourage us from getting to the progress that we can reach. We know, God, that we're never going to be perfect fathers, 
but you've put within our grasp the ability to be better fathers. It may be that each of us who are fathers here tonight and each of us who aspire to be fathers one day, that there will be a resolve in each of us that John 5 fatherhood is gonna be part of our legacy as men and husbands and dads in this life, not just for this life, but for eternity. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.